Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Maybe afternoon, maybe evening. Maybe you're listening to this on your commute, huh? Maybe it's uh, you're on the way to work. I don't know. Maybe you're at lunch. Thank you for listening wherever you are. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. This is the daily CBS Sports NFL Podcast. Roughly 30 minutes in length. Drops in your inbox, your favorite podcast app, by 6 a.m. every morning, Monday through Friday. We're going to keep plowing through the offseason despite a lack of a relative lack of NFL news. And uh, we're going to be doing these team-by-team breakdowns. Today we have the Vikings with Anthony Broom of 247 Sports. We're going to talk to Tori Petri of the DetroitLions.com. Awesome uh, job over there. We've got Aaron Nagler of PackersNews.com. Uh, and then we've got uh, Dan Katz of Marshall Sports to talk about the Bears. That's going to be the rest of this week. Um, if you got somebody, I think NFC South is going to be next. If you got somebody you want to hear from on the NFC South side of things, holler at me on Twitter at Will Brinson. I appreciate all the nice notes about the podcast on Twitter via email. You can email me anytime you want. Will Brinson at gmail.com. Should you feel inclined to reach out? I appreciate notes. It makes me feel better about my life. And uh, maybe you're bored. Maybe you want to talk football, whatever. It's cool with me. I try to respond as fast as I can. Same thing on Twitter. Follow the podcast at Pick6Pod on Twitter. Let's get to some news, and then we'll hit up the Vikings. First off, notable that uh, Jason, Witt, Jason Witten, I believe, is officially locked into Monday Night Football. The former Cowboys tight end retired. Joe Tessitore, it sounds like, is locked into the play-by-play for Monday Night Football. Anthony Booger McFarland, who's been on the SEC Network, is going to be a quote-unquote field analyst. And then Lisa Salters sticking around as the sideline reporter. Field analyst, as far as I can tell, is just a phrase that the networks are using for dudes doing some reporting from the sideline who don't want to be called sideline reporters. Uh, they're analyzing the game from the field, if you will. And so Booker McFarland's going to do that. I actually kind of like that group. I'm curious how that's going to work with him as a field analyst, coupled with Witten and Tess in the, in the booth together, kind of testing things out. Feels like that could be a little rocky out of the gates, but I like the group as a whole. I'm high on Witten as an analyst. Uh, I think Tess, Tessator is one of the most underrated guys in terms of play-by-play guys. You know, non-CBS version, of course. Uh, but, but he's excellent up there. And then I think McFarland does a good job. Just curious how that whole thing works out with the sideline analyst gig. But it sounds like Monday Night Football, uh, Richard Deitch of, of The Athletic Inc. first reported this, but it sounds like Monday Night Football basically locked up. A notable Bills and Broncos draft day trade that never happened. Excellent uh, piece from the Buffalo News talking with Bills GM Brandon Bean about sort of draft night and all the things that unfolded. And one of the things he revealed in that piece is that the Bills and Broncos had agreed to a trade whereby Buffalo was going to send 12, number 12 overall, number 22 overall, and one of their second round picks, we'll assume either 53 or 56, to the Broncos in exchange for number five, and one of the Broncos third round picks, either number 71 or 99. I'll assume 71 for the sake of this discussion, but I mean, this is a bloodbath by the Broncos if they pull it off. Bradley Chubb was the one guy they were not going to move if he landed there at five. They didn't expect it to happen, and so they bailed at the last second. Interesting to think how that whole thing might have panned out. The Bills uh, would have gotten their quarterback, we assume, still Josh Allen, but wouldn't have got clearly Josh Allen because they had him at seven, um, but they wouldn't have gotten Tremaine Edmonds uh, you know, by trading back into the first round, and the Broncos certainly wouldn't have gotten Bradley Chubb. The Colts would have had a decision on their hands. Chris Ballard's 
says, according, you know, I believe he's even said it, but according to reports, he was going to go with Quentin Nelson no matter what. Bradley Chubb could have fallen to the Buccaneers at seven. Whole interesting what if how things would have played out. Uh, Carson Wentz, very confident, quote, very confident that he will play week one, said that on NFL Network. I would expect you to see him play. Worth watching to see how both he and Deshaun Watson manage their mobility and the hits they take early in the season. I get that ACL tears are, you know, the recovery time is now basically nine months, but it's really closer to 18 months before you get your full mobility back. Just ask Rob Gronkowski. So curious to see how those two, uh, budding star young quarterbacks manage their mobility and all of that as they get, as they get ready in, in the start of the season. The Saints have released Kobe Fleener. Should be no surprise. Fleener was a bust in terms of a free agency signing. Supposed to explode on the scene as a, uh, you know, seam stretching tight end in a Drew Brees offense and it never happened. So he's released a lot of cash that the Saints burnt on that Kobe Fleener deal. But, but again, shouldn't be a surprise. Shouldn't impact your fantasy team. If you drafted Kobe Fleener, you're already screwed in the first place. Uh, and then the Panthers signed CJ Anderson. On, uh, on Monday afternoon. That's a really big signing, both in terms of the real world and, and fantasy football. I think Anderson's going to get a ton of carries in that offense. He'll be Jonathan Stewart from last year, except more effective. And he should be a good running back in North Turner's offense, can catch some passes. And Christian McCaffrey was never going to be a bell cow between the tackles. That's not his role. I mean, he's going to catch a ton of passes and be a better approximation of maybe Darren Sproles, uh, than he, than he would have, um, you know, a Ladanian Tomlinson or Michael Turner from a North Turner offense. And so I think you look at C.J. Anderson as an interesting fit for the Panthers and somebody they needed to sign a nice powered back or a, you know, a big a feature back who can run the ball 250 times next year. I, I, good signing for the Panthers. Big deal in terms of helping out their running game. All right, joining us now from the Minnesota Vikings 247 sports site, Anthony Broom. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Will. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, for sure. You uh, you also do some work at Mason Brew. I'm noticing on your Twitter account at Anthony T Broom, also a CMU alum. Is uh, there's like a couple of famous CMU alums, right? Central Michigan. Is yeah, uh, Eric Fisher, number one pick, uh, 2013, yeah. I think it was. Obviously, Antonio Brown is one. Yep. Um, Dick Enberg, uh, famous broadcaster. So, uh, Jeff Daniels as well. If we're going outside of sports mm. into the acting realm, so. Yeah, we've got our little Hall of Fame up there, so it's uh, it's not too bad. Uh, wouldn't Dan Lefevre? Wouldn't he the quarterback for the the Chippewas? I think a couple like a, ten years ago, maybe. Like I feel like I don't know why I knew that. I don't. Yeah, he was uh, for the longest time. Uh, you know, I think he was a four year starter. I'm, I'm, you know, we're going back ten years or so now. So, uh, yeah, when when Brian Kelly was the coach there, Butch Jones was the coach there. A lot of people kind of forget that's where those guys got their starts. So, uh, yeah, you had Lefevre. Uh, Lefevre was on that Antonio Brown team. Uh, they, they did some nice things up there. Nothing too crazy to write home about. They weren't going to, you know, the, those BCS games or, or anything <laughs> like that, but you no, know, it, it was a fun time up there for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, this is not a Chippewas podcast, although we do like Chippewas. This is a NFL podcast and people can check out all your Vikings work at the Minnesota Vikings 247 page. Let's talk about those Vikings and specifically the draft because I, you know, the, the Vikings to me are an interesting team coming out of the draft in that I don't, I feel like the way that Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman approach things, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you know, they grab Mike Hughes in the first round, um, is that they don't intend 
to see Mike Hughes on the field in an extremely meaningful role for like one to two years. Is that, don't they sort of build in that redshirt program, especially with these defensive backs? Yeah, it seems like they've taken things slow at times. Obviously with Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes really didn't, I don't want to say it was a disappointment, but it, it kind of was slow moving for him until, you know, he took a, a, a nice step forward last year. I thought yeah. he, he ended up being a pretty good number two. Uh, but yeah, usually they do like to bring those guys along slowly. And, uh, I, I think with Hughes, obviously, you know, he bounced around a little bit in college, had some stuff go on at, at North Carolina and, and ended up transferring to UCF. But I think that where he slides in for them, they're probably going to, st- um, they're going to try and stick him in the slot early on, see what he can do there. They have a big need there. Uh, if anyone who watched the NFC title game, uh, you know, he had, you had Terrence, a uh, 39 year old Terrence Newman in the slot up against Alshon Jeffrey and, um, it did not go well, uh, to say the least. So uh, I think they had to get a little bit younger there, uh, get a little more athletic there. And, you know, Hughes is a physical guy. Uh, he kind of fits what, what Zimmer likes in those corners. And I know he's played on the outside, so kind of sliding him into the inside to play that slot corner is going to be a little bit of an adjustment. And maybe that's kind of where the, you know, the learning and, and the red shirt year, so to speak, uh, comes in. But I think they expect him to play early. Uh, he, he's going to be a guy, too, where, I think that he's a little more explosive for them in the the kick and punt return game, which is something that they weren't really able to address last year in in replacing Cordero Patterson. Mar- Marcus Sherrills is fine, but uh, just not explosive as some of the guys that they'd had in the past. So that's where I see Hughes fitting in. And I think, like you said, I think it could kind of be a, a year or two process for him because I think at some point – they may expect him to play on the outside. Now, Trey sure. Waynes, they, they picked up his fifth-year option, but I'm not sure that's a guy that they end up signing long-term just because – maybe not because he's he's not playing well, but more because, you know, you look at Kirk Cousins' contract. Now you look at some of these other deals they have coming up. Uh, I just don't think they can afford what they're probably going to have to pay Trey Waynes. So um, it is going to be a little bit of a process for him. I think that uh, – like you said, it fits it fits what what Mike Zimmer likes to do defensively pretty well. In uh, in Brian O'Neill, their second round pick, they they get a tackle is you know out of out of Pittsburgh. Is this a guy who could start day one? That would be a little bit surprising in that um, you know you throw a second rounder into the mix that quickly. But it, it's possible they could they move Rimmer, Mike Rimmers, who they signed a free agency two years ago, inside to guard where they they tested him out last year. He hadn't really played guard. Came over from Carolina where he, where he mostly played right tackle. Uh, how do you see that offensive line set up moving based on the draft? Yeah, it's going to be one of those things where things are pretty fluid there right now. Even with you know, obviously they had Joe Berger retiring earlier this off season, so there's there's a hole at guard right now. And I thought this is where. Even if you go into the first round, you look at the pick of Mike Hughes. I thought maybe the better play there would to, would be to take a plug and play starter, yeah. like a Will Hernandez, like a Connor Williams. You know some of those other guys that were on the board. I know they liked Austin Corbett, but obviously he comes off the board uh, the very first pick of the second round. And when that when there was that run on linemen there early in the second round, it kind of felt like this was a team that uh, they they were. I don't want to say they were in trouble, but the plug and play guys were coming off the board pretty quickly. So when you look at Brian O'Neill. That's a guy who is raw. I think he needs to get stronger, but I mean, he's athletic as any tackle uh, that was in that class, but I think it's going to take time for them. And, and Rick Spielman had said before the draft in a press conference that they liked Rebbers at both guard and tackle. He said that he's played winning football uh, at both positions. So I, I see it breaking down as maybe a guy like Danny Isadora, who, who played pretty well in, in relief as a rookie last year, playing at right guard and then with Rebbers at 
at right tackle. And it kind of fits in line with what we were talking about with that first round pick, where I think it could be a year or two before you really see what you have in not only just Mike Hughes, but Brian O'Neill as well. So if O'Neill comes along and he is in the starting lineup, I mean, that's, that's a great sign for them. If he can slide into that right tackle spot right away, that's great. You just kick Remmers over to guard and, and you've got your offensive line. Uh, pretty much set, but I think it's going to take some time with him. Uh, not just, you know, the strength and all that, that can be fixed, but it's, you know, some of the other technical things and, you know, it's, it's going to take time. So I, I like, I, I like how they're able to be flexible there. I sure. don't, I come out of this draft for them think not liking that there are still those questions there. I thought that maybe the draft would be able uh, to address that a little better for them. Yeah, I mean, the one good thing, if you're Minnesota and you look at the depth chart and you look at the way that they've drafted and the way that they've acquired talent over the past, you know, five years or so, ever since Mike, but uh, Mike Zipper's been there, well, however long Mike Zipper's been there and with Rick Spielman, doing a good job before he got there. Um, and I, I think the one thing that stands out to me is that good NFL teams do not require their players who they drafted in, in, in the draft to step in four months later and be impact starters, you know, with the exception of maybe a, uh, you know, a guy taken to the top five, a Bradley Chubb out of, out of NC State with the Broncos or a Saquon Barkley out of Penn State with the, with the Giants. I mean, you, you want some guys, some guys are going to start and running back is to me an easier position as well, but you don't want to be plugging in a cornerback or a tackle, uh, from day one and hoping that that guy that you took with the, you know, what, what I mean, I guess the pick for O'Neill is like 62nd. You don't want the 62nd overall pick to be a guy who is definitely starting on your offensive line week one. And so from that perspective, I think the Vikings are in good shape. I, I do wonder, though, when you look at this offense and how Kirk Cousins slides in and now with, with John DeFilippo coming in as the, uh, the offensive coordinator to replace Pat Shermer, what, I mean, this is a vague and general question, but I – I am legitimately curious about it. What is the Vikings offense going to look like in 2018? Well, I think the thing for them is, and DeFilippo said this when he came in on his conference call, was that I think they want to continue to emphasize the things that they did well last year. So I think you're going to see, it's going to look a lot like they did, you know, the uh, sort of a West Coast style of offense. I think obviously you drop Kirk Cousins into a situation where, Maybe his offensive lines were a little bit better uh, in Washington, but he's never had a running back like Dalvin Cook. He's never had wide receivers like Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, a tight end in Kyle Rudolph. So it's kind of one of those things where it's going to be an interesting experiment in, you know, we hear all these all the time about these NFL quarterbacks that aren't exactly elite or near the top of the uh, the food chain, so to speak. Well, what if, what if he had this? Well, what if he had that? Something people always say in Detroit, what if Matthew Stafford had a running game? Well, now you drop Cousins into a situation where there's really no excuses for him not to succeed. Uh, only he can kind of decide where it goes from there. But when you talk about what DeFilippo is going to bring, I think what you see and kind of what I saw during the draft, I thought that they would go out at some point, maybe early, but probably not and get a, a tight end to complement what Kyle Rudolph does. And I think they did that with Tyler Conklin, a guy you can drop in who – Chippewa. Yeah, another Chippewa. <laughs> there you go. Um, a guy like Tyler Conklin who you can move around the field a little bit, a guy who can go up and, and make plays on the ball. I think that uh, that that's kind of – maybe he's kind of the – 
I don't want to call him Zach Ertz, but maybe he's in that Zach Ertz mold. I look at DeFilippo, I look at some of the things that he may bring to, uh, from, over from the Eagles, and I think obviously it's the tight ends. They want to have good multiple tight ends. I think that that was somewhere when when Kyle Rudolph was out of the lineup last year. There's you know, you're stuck with, and stuck with has a negative connotation to it, but you were stuck with Blake Bell and, and David Morgan, and there's there's a drop-off there. So now you got have a guy in Conklin who I think that, like I said, you can move around the field. I think that uh, that that was a good pickup for them. So you've got, you're a little bit deeper at tight end. I think at running back, Dalvin Cook's your guy there, but it's still, you know, obviously Latavius Murray had a great year. You're going to have to replace what you lost to Jarek McKinnon in terms of catching the ball in the backfield. But I think you do that with a healthy Dalvin Cook because those two guys had to replace what they lost in Cook when he got hurt. So uh, Cook staying healthy is going to be a big part of it too. So, uh, again, at the end of the day, I guess that's really just a long-winded way of saying I think that they are a little deeper there now. But I think in terms of, of what that offense did well, I think you're going to see a lot of the same things that you did last season. Yeah, and, you know, the interesting thing about Cousins is that for, I think, probably 2015 and 2016 with the Redskins, he was a guy that you could not necessarily count on to elevate everybody around him. He was really more uh, of a guy who would, you know, who, who needed, who needed everything in place. Sort of more like an Andy, like a, like a, a newer, I don't even know if it's poor or richer man's Andy Dalton, but I mean like he needed, he needed things to go well around him. And then I thought in 2017, he did a really good job of dealing with the pressures that came along with a, an offensive line that was acting like a sieve. I mean that, you know, Morgan Moses, Trent Williams were both hurt. Uh, Brandon Scherf was there, but they just didn't, the, the Redskins offensive line was not, just not healthy last year. And Cousins, I thought did a great job staying in the pocket, making throws down the field, uh, under pressure and, and looking Looking almost like another different quarterback, but like he'd sort of arrived in, in what was ultimately his contract year. It panned out really well for him. I wonder how much they will like. Do, like, do you think that we'll see an attempt to make this a similar setup to what they had with Case Keenum, where they want to be a running the, run the ball team? Because Mike Zimmer, Mike Zimmer doesn't want to wing the ball all over the place, right? I mean, he wants to run the ball and then make some plays down the field. Uh, but it, it's it's a hard juxtaposition to have this eighty three million dollar. Um, fully guaranteed quarterback you paid all this money for in free agency and also to have a, a, a team that wants to rely on defense and running, right? Yeah, I would think so. And this is what I – the takeaway I keep coming back to when we talk about the price tag for Kirk Cousins is that, to me, the Vikings are paying for peace of mind here. They know who their quarterback is going to be for at least the next three years. If, if all goes well, he could finish his career as a Viking. So – that's not something they've had. When, when Cousins starts a game for them uh, this fall, I think that will be the sixth start, different starting quarterback they've had in six years, which is is crazy to think about because wow. they've been pretty good in that stretch too. So uh, I think that they still are going to want to run the ball. Uh, again, a healthy cook is is going to be a big part and all that. We've obvi- obviously we've seen what Latavius Murray can do. Uh, so when I look at how this offense is going to set up, obviously they're going to bring some different concepts and things like that that. Uh, John Filippo will bring over, but again, he wants to emphasize what they did well last year. And the play action passing game was a big part of that. And when I watched Keenum last year, uh, you know, when they, they want to take, they want to take their shots down the field, but Keenum just didn't have the arm to do that. And, and no matter what, you, you know, there's a big debate on who's the better quarterback, Keenum or Cousins, or who would be better for this team. To me, what Cousins brings them over Keenum is that if you need to go down the field, 
he has the arm to do that for you. And, and I don't, I don't know how Adam Thielen is always open. NFL teams still haven't really found out a way to cover him. Uh, Stefan Diggs, you know, has his, his way to do damage as well. Um, when you, when those opportunities for shots down the field present themselves, you have to be able to capitalize on, on more than they did last year. I mean, you can't leave points on the field. And I thought that that's where that was, that's the biggest upgrade to me that they're getting over Keenum. So, uh, I think again, he, at the time he signed that deal, he was going to be the highest paid quarterback in the league. Obviously the market plays itself out to where that's obviously that's Matt Ryan's title until the next guy gets paid, probably Aaron Rodgers. But at the end of the day, I feel like the Vikings knew they were, you know, Rick Spielman had to his credit planned this out years in advance where at one way or another, they were going to have to pay a quarterback some pretty big money for 2018. So they knew that they were going to have to pay someone. It maybe wasn't the someone they thought they were going to have to pay, but at the end of the day, uh, I think that they're just happy they have a guy and now they can, they can build from it and go from there. Do you think there's anything? I worry a little bit about the Saints when I look at the Saints and, and how they got just absolutely daggered by the Vikings at the end of the season and, you know, the, the Minnesota miracle and one of the great playoff games. I just, I mean, I think the Saints will probably be fine because they have veteran leadership in, the, in terms of Sean Payton and Drew Brees and some consistency there, but they do have to bounce back from what is ultimately a tough loss. And I wonder, is there a little bit of the same thing maybe working for Minnesota, not in the sudden way that they got daggered? Uh, but I mean, that was a brutal, I mean, uh, it was a rough loss, right, in the NFC Championship game. I mean, that that is a tough way to go in thinking you're you're 60 minutes away from playing for a Super Bowl title on your home field, and you just get, I mean, ultimately I mean, beat down by the by the by the Eagles. Do you think there's there'll be any sort of carry over there, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, by by a unit that's considered one of the best, or would this be this group be motivated to come back out? Um, and and do you think that this is arguably the best defense in the NFL? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Uh, I don't know how that's going to affect them because the last six or so quarters that they've played, that, that Vikings defense hasn't been good. It hasn't been good. Yeah. And I don't know if, you know, I think part of that is obviously on them. Uh, there was a point in that NFC title game where they just like deers in the headlights and, and that had been something we had not seen all year from them. And it was, that's tough to bounce back from. It's, you know, not, not to use the, the Rocky term here, but they kind of had lost the eye of the tiger, so to speak. <laughs> but I think that, I think they're going to be okay there. I, it's been a process for them. I know they had to, to build up to, to get to that point where they were going to be the number one defense in the league. And now you bring in a guy, uh, you plug in Sheldon Richardson next to Linval Joseph and on a defensive line with Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter. I think they're not maybe, they're not as deep as the Eagles are up front, but you know, the case can be made that that's, that's the best, you know, starting four up front in the entire league. So uh, I, I think they're going to be fine uh, there. I, I think they should be, if not the best defense in the league, uh, definitely easily top five, maybe top three. Uh, I think that the secondary, them addressing the secondary with Mike Hughes, um, you know, Terrence Newman is back. Uh, you've got a pretty good one-two punch in Xavier Rhodes and, and Trey Waynes. And then uh, Harrison Smith was, I believe Pro Football Focus is uh, top graded player in the entire league last year, at least on defense. So, I mean, they have the pieces there. It's not like they played out of their minds and those they didn't have good players there. They've got Pro Bowlers on that defense. They've they've got some really nice talent there, and they've got, you know, maybe arguably maybe the best defensive head coach uh, in the game too. So. Mm. 
I, I would expect them to still be okay there. Uh, obviously, I think at some point, when you look at that NFC title game, you go, you walk right, you have the ball first, walk right down the field, score. And then, obviously, Keenum throws the pick six. Things kind of snowballed from there. But you still had, a, still had an opportunity to tie the game going into the half. And you're in the red zone, and, and Keenum fumbles the ball. Uh, and so then you go into halftime, still down, have a few missed opportunities, and then the wheels just kind of fell off from there. So I think the biggest key for them is going to be not making that defense win games for them. The offense is going to have to bring a little bit more to the table because in some of the better teams they played against last year, those better games, uh, the offense struggled. Uh, they they struck. They got punched in the mouth during a, a regular season game in Atlanta. Uh, Carolina gave them some problems. Yeah. You looked at uh, obviously. The, the Saints, it took a miracle to win that game. And then you go to Philly and, and you get punched in the mouth. So I think it's one of those things where you need to not ask your defense to do so much because at some point, if you're leaving them on the field as much as they were, they're going to wear down. And, and you just hope that they don't do it in, in your, the biggest game of the year. I think that a lot of people would make the case that the favorite in the NFC North, by virtue of the quarterback running the team, should be the Green Bay Packers. Tell me why the Minnesota Vikings should be favored to win the division over the Packers. Well, I think hmm. Aaron Rodgers is that boogie man that's always going to be there. You can disagree, by the way. You can say, no, they shouldn't be, and the Packers should be favored. No, I think when you look on paper, I think this is the best team in NFC North, and they should win. And if they don't, it would be disappointing. Uh, But, you know, you look at that that division, it's – all of a sudden, you know, the, I thought the Packers went out and had a really good draft. You can go get, you go get Jair Alexander and then you get Josh, you followed up, you get Josh Jackson, who a lot of people think was maybe the number two quarterback in the draft in the second round. I mean, I thought that was a great haul for them. The Bears have, have put all kinds of playmakers around Mitch Trubisky now. So I'm going to be interested in, in seeing what that team does. And, you know, the Lions, uh, Matthew Stafford, again, he's kind of the guy that has, has helped that team stay afloat. And, you know, they've got a guy that a lot of people think is, is going to be a pretty good head coach in Matt Patricia. So I think you're going to have to win your division to make the playoffs, mm. uh, uh, in the NFC North here. But I think you look at the Vikings, uh, I think Kirk Cousins, I think Kirk is going to be okay. And I'm, I'm going to stop short of saying he takes that, he becomes Drew Brees and takes this next giant leap with his next team, but I could see elements of that happening. He's finally got some, you know, he's in a place that he knows he's going to be. He's got great playmakers around him. Everyone's back this year. Nobody left via free agency uh, in terms of the key guys. So I think offensively, and you've got one of the best offensive minds in the league in John D. Filippo uh, pulling the strings on that offense now. So I feel like I, I, I like the pieces there as long as Dalvin Cook stays healthy. I'm pretty comfortable saying that uh, they're going to be just fine offensively and, and may just end up being one of the best offenses in the league. And the defense we just talked about, I think they'll stay as one of the best in the league. So the expectation there is is not just win the division and make the playoffs anymore. You went to the NFC title game, and this is, might be – I don't want to say this is the last year of their championship window, hmm. but this is the last year where everybody's under contract. You've got Stephon Diggs coming up for a deal. You've got uh, Hunter coming up for a deal. Anthony Barr needs a new contract. All hands are on deck right now. So the pieces are there to kind of pick up where they left off and make sure that they're not a team that, you know, coming off of uh, the the thing that the comparison that keeps popping into my head was uh, that MC title game a few years ago where I think it was the Panthers and the Cardinals and the Cardinals got absolutely smacked around. Smashed. And then yeah. that was it for them. 
yeah. uh, they need to make sure that doesn't happen to them. And I think that they're, they're built better uh, than that Cardinals team was. And I think that, you know, they'll, they'll be right there in the mix. And, and what is, I look up and down, up and down these rosters in the NFC. This might be the most wide open I've ever seen it. It's going to be a crazy, I think fun year in that, in that conference. So, but I, I do expect them to win their division and, and make the playoffs and put themselves into that conversation once again. Yeah, that's two interesting points there. One, I think you're, I think you're spot on with this window for the, for the Vikings. And I think they know it by virtue of the way they did the Cousins deal. I mean, not most NFL deals now are three years when in, in free agency at the end of the day, but they did that three year fully guaranteed deal. And it says, Hey, not that, not that they don't want to keep him around after that, but it, it definitely screams, we think we've got the talent to win in this three year window with, you know, Cook coming back and all the guys on defense. Let's try and make a run here. And then I think it, I think it is. Fat, the NFC is stacked. I, if you, you know, you probably give the nod to the Patriots as the, maybe the best team in football just because of Belichick and Brady. But then I think it's like two through seven are in the, are in the NFC with the Vikings and the Rams and the Eagles. And I think the Saints are really good. The Falcons are going to be really good this year. I wouldn't sleep on the Panthers. Uh, the Packers, of course, have Aaron Rodgers. I think, I think the Lions are a little bit of a sleeper in that division just because of, I, I, I buy into Matt Patricia sort of blindly, but that maybe because I like, uh, big dudes with, with, you know, like, you know, like, I like, I like big burly dudes with beards. You know, I respect my, respect my brethren and, um, <laughs> And so I, 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 I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like you could see the NFC. I think you're right. I think you can see a lot of teams coming out of the NFC. When you look at the Vikings win total, it's at 10 this year after eight and a half last year. Does anything with the schedule and, and how, and who they're putting? Cause I look at the schedule and I think it's a pretty friendly layout. They get the, the 49ers at home first. The 49ers are, are a hyped up team. Um, at the Packers, Bills at home in week three, at Rams, at Eagles is a brutal two game stretch, but they get 10 games, 10 days in between those. And then, uh, Cardinals, Saints, and Lions at home, as well as the Jets on the road before that week 10 bye. It's a pretty friendly schedule, and I tend to look at it and say, if things go as I expect them to, six and three is the worst case scenario going into that bye. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think that three of those first five being on the road, uh, at Green Bay, and then you got the back-to-back. You play a Thursday night at the Rams. You've got uh, you follow it up with a, a game at the Eagles. That's that's a tough stretch on paper, uh, but again, you would think that. Um, I, I look at that stretch of games, and I've got it pulled up here right now. I think six and three is is definitely attainable. The one that could be sneaky difficult. So you come out of the bye, you go to Chicago, mm-hmm. you play the Packers at home on Sunday Night Football. You go to New England after that on a short week, and then you go to Seattle after that um, for Monday Night Football. I know Seattle's not the team that uh, that they have been, and they're kind of going through their own little rebuild, uh, so to speak. There, but anytime you got to go play there is tough. Any, I mean, it's. I mean, they beat the Eagles on Monday Night Football in Seattle last year. They can definitely beat the Vikings in Seattle on Monday Night Football this year. Sure, and and. Proceeding that as a trip to Foxborough, not many people go and win there. And I talked about a, a sneaky, difficult team that, that the Bears could wind up being. So, uh, and then obviously anytime the Packers and Vikings get together, uh, that's, you're, you're in for a little, a brouhaha of sorts there. So, um, yeah, it's, this is the thing. I mean, every, it seems like every NFL team is kind of built to go eight and eight and then a couple breaks here or there you're either five and 11 or you end up being 12 and four or 13 or three it just kind of depends on things uh snowballing and go from there but i look at the schedule i mean 
They they played the AFC East this year. Outside of the Patriots, those should be three wins for them. Um, you know, a card the Cardinals should be a win for them. I know everyone's on the Garoppolo train, but they should win the, their opener. Uh, I I don't I, I see them getting to ten, uh, probably getting to uh, eleven, and then from there is it, pretty much gravy. And you're talking about seeding and things like that. But to me, this is a ten or eleven win football team. Um, you know, they went out and won thirteen of them last year, and it's not like they really did it with. I mean, the playoff game was a miracle, but they weren't trailing in games late. They weren't coming back. They were, you know, they were taking at teams for 60 minutes and they didn't really trail a whole lot last year. And that was with Case Keenum at quarterback. So now that you have a guy that I think is an upgrade, uh, you have uh, a defense that I think will wind up being a little bit more deeper, uh, but still, still as talented as they have been. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any, I don't want to say there's no excuses because Something could happen. Kirk Cousins trips on the plane and then Trevor Simeon's your, your starting <laughs> quarterback. So, uh, you don't want to say no excuses, but assuming that we know what this football team is, they should win their division. They should find a way to win 11 games or so. And from there, um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. But it's again, uh, you could also make the case that. You know, we just talked about four teams in the NFC North that could potentially be playoff teams. We talked about, you know, the Eagles, the Rams, uh, you know, who knows if the Cowboys bounce back. So it's, like I said, I think things are going to be pretty wide open, but I think that the Vikings are, are one of the safer picks to be a team that, that is in the playoffs for the NFC. I, I'm with you. And I think, by the way, the thing that stands out to me when I look back at last year more than anything um the Vikings after their week nine bye, so you got a similar setup, right? I mean, you know, week ten coming up this year. After the week nine bye, they went at the Redskins and won, beat the Rams at home, at the Lions and won, at the Falcons and won, and then almost won at Carolina. They almost won three straight road games against conference against playoff caliber conference opponents. Uh I think the Vikings were the worst team I mean the, the the Lions were the worst team, excuse me, out of that group with nine wins. Um and then I mean yeah, that's an incredible stretch. And of course they closed it out by blanking the Packers, throttling the Bengals and and taking care of the Bears and won six of seven after the bye. I, I think it barring just a total disaster on offense with Kirk Cousins and John D. Filippo, which would be a, a obviously a really big surprise, or barring some serious injuries, et cetera, et cetera. This is a this is a a, a ten win team, and I don't like taking the over on ten wins, but I think I would probably take it just because of the, how dangerous they are. Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head. I do think that you know, anytime you have, it's not only do they have a new offensive coordinator, they have a new quarterback too, so they have a lot of. There's a lot of ground for them to make up, but I think those two are going to work well together. Um, I've watched some stuff on DeFilippo, and, and the guy, I feel smarter have, you know, having listened to the guy. So uh, I think that he's going to obviously have that effect on his players. Uh, you know, the thing to watch with him is I know he was kind of in the mix for some head coaching jobs this offseason. Mm. Wouldn't surprise me if the Vikings go out and, and put up big numbers offensively, and maybe he's in the running for one of those jobs next year. Maybe the Cleveland Browns and working with Baker Mayfield. Who knows? That's just me spitballing here. But um, I think those guys are going to work well together. And I think you have one of the more forward-thinking offensive minds in the game with him coming in. He's only 39 years old and uh, someone that's been in football for a long time already. So uh, I think he'll be able to move those chess pieces around offensively and do pretty well. And I think that, uh, again, we, we assume that defense is going to be good, but – they're, this team is only going to be as good as the offense takes them. And there are a lot of Vikings fans out there who are kind of used to 
waiting for the other shoe to drop, whether it was <laughs> the Teddy Bridgewater injury, whether it was the, the offensive line a couple of years ago just being an absolute disaster. Uh, but I think that the pieces are there for them. Uh, again, peace of mind has kind of been the, the theme of this discussion here. I think that Vikings fans should be at ease. I know a lot of them are still kind of that sour taste in their mouth from the, the NFC title game, and they should. That one was – that one hurts, and, and there are a lot of Philly fans out there that remind them more often of that game than that they actually won the Super Bowl. So that does hurt, but I think that the pieces are there where there's not going to be a, a hangover or a drop-off like we usually see with a lot of these uh, playoff teams that end up getting throttled like that. So I, I like what they have. I like what the front office has done. I like that they – it seems like they have all these different scenarios planned out for different – you know, realities and contracts that they need to, to take care of. So, and I think they have a pretty, pretty darn good coaching staff in place too. So, uh, it's not often you can lose a guy like, uh, Pat Shermer to the Giants and still you, have a, yeah. you lose Pat Shermer and, and that's, you almost, you can make the argument that they may be upgraded, uh, which obviously we'll wait and see how that plays out. But, um, for them to fill that role as well as they did, I, I think they, I honestly think they've killed it this offseason. So, yep. Uh, props to them for sure. No doubt about it. All right, Anthony T. Broom on Twitter. Check out the Minnesota Vikings 247 sports coverage. Thanks for joining us, man, and we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Of course, anytime.